I'm Lake Miller. And I'm Hannah Brown. Welcome to Gem City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We're from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity and inclusion. In this episode, I got the chance to talk with Erin about mental health and suicide prevention. She shared a bit about her story and how she was affected by suicide. She shares what she's up to now and what she does to help others who may be dealing with mental health challenges and suicide, and a bit about what she loves to do for self-care. Enjoy. Thank you for being here with me, Erin. I'm so glad that we got to do this. Um, I'm wondering first if you can introduce yourself, um, kind of say like what you're up to now and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so like you said, my name is Erin Evans. Um, I'm from Springfield, Ohio. I'm currently a tutor for the Springfield City School District. And I do a little substituting here and there, but I'm mainly a tutor. I tutor K through third grade. And I also assist with uh, special needs children. And I'm also a photographer. Great. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I'm really wondering today, um, I guess my first question would be, um, what, what is your story? What draws you to talk about mental health and suicide prevention? So... In March of 2016, I lost a really close um, cousin of mine. His name was Brian Barian, but everyone, nobody called him that. Everyone called him BJ. And we were first cousins. We were raised um, with each other. Um, Super close. I mean, I I think to be cousins is close, but when you, when it's your mom's sister's children, it just makes it so much so much more closer. Um, And so he had committed suicide that March of 2016. And it just really had a huge impact on my family. A lot of us never even thought that that was something that was crossing his mind. We knew that he definitely had mental health issues, but then I guess later on, we'll talk about warning signs and just how to not take things lightly when people say that they don't want to be here anymore or they do self-harm and it's not something small like a like well cutting I don't think cutting is a small thing but what he was doing was this was not his first attempt so when that happened we definitely saw a pattern but it just really, it really impacted all of us. Um, Everybody kind of coped the only way that they knew how to cope. Unfortunately, some people did turn to alcohol, which was something that he had battled with too. He had an alcohol um, problem. Some of us just kind of tried to press through it. And he also had a daughter who was at an age where she was aware of what was happening. So I think thinking about him and then thinking about his offspring, like, wow, she's going through the same things that us adults are going through. So it 
And that's her father on top of all of that. So that was just a really, it was a really traumatic time. And that first year, I definitely will say, I just kind of, it was kind of a blur. I don't really remember much of 2016 after that took place, but, but it definitely inspired me to be able to speak on it now and uh, speak with children. I, I do tutor, like I said before. So it's just the little things being encouraging and taking that situation and thinking about, okay, well, how can I, how can I be a preventer? How can I be somebody encouraging in people's lives so that they do see that this is, this is something that we want to have. We want to have life. We want to be able to, you know, be around and, and just live and, and be. So I guess you could say that's, that's most of the story in, in a nutshell. Um, I want to say maybe two days after he had passed, we, well, my mother, she saw a cardinal bird that would not leave her house. And mind you, where he lived and his mother lived and where my mom lives is like different sides of town. So she was experiencing that at her house. And then I had an experience and his mom had an experience with the Cardinal. So that was a way that we kind of, it sounds small, but that was, I guess, him to us. We had never seen anything like that before. And it was just so abrupt and, and evident that there was just no denying. So me and his sister, um, my other first cousin, we had got Cardinal tattoos just to, to have that, you know, and I don't know, just a way to cope because it's really symbolic. So we, we ended up getting that. His mom still does not work. Uh, she hasn't worked since that happened. And I, I definitely don't judge her for that because it's hard to lose a child. I don't know what it's, I don't have children and I definitely don't know what it's like to lose um, your firstborn son. So, but she's, I think now in 2021, everyone is okay. We can, I think I can talk about it. Even just being on here and talking is, is a form of coping for me because I've, I've found times where I'm like, wow, like I can't even talk about this without crying. I can't speak his name without getting upset. So um, I'm happy to be on here and to be able to talk to, you know, whoever is going to see this podcast. And so they can see that it's, it's normal. It's normal to not want to talk about anything. It's normal to not dive right into, you know, an awareness warrior, like, okay, everybody support. I was not doing any of that, that first year. I didn't even know about suicide prevention month um, until a year later. And that's when I started kind of trying to implement ways to spread awareness and educate. So hopefully that wasn't too long winded. <laughs> Because I, I do want to give you a, a chance to kind of chime in uh, before I talk about just certain steps that I took personally after that in, in trying to be relatable. And I don't know, I guess kind of take away the intensity of it because it's it's really hard and some people don't take things serious. Like I had I had instances where people just said off the wall things like I would wear my ribbon. People would ask me what it stood for. I would tell them. 
and the reactions that I've gotten, I'm like, oh my God, like, okay, maybe you don't understand because you, maybe you don't know anyone who's committed suicide. Maybe you've never, it's not, it's never impacted you. So it's easy to make a joke. It's easy to say something that's really, really insensitive. And so I've had to dive deep into my patients and, and educate rather than be like, okay, this is not okay. And, you know, blow up on someone because people need to be educated. And I, I would rather them be educated than go around saying things, saying insensitive things and, you know, just being ignorant. So. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. Thank you for sharing all that. I know that was like so much. I'm sorry. No, it's totally good. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer in when people talk about mental health and talk about suicide, it shows, even if it shows one person like, okay, this is something that's, that people deal with and it opens the door for them to talk to someone about it, to, you know, find what they need to be able to get through it. And, you know, so I, so thank you for sharing all that. Also, yeah, I think, you know, people do, people don't understand people who have never struggled with mental health, who have never been impacted by suicide. And I commend you for educating because I think it is really easy to kind of just, you know, say like, to say something back to them because what they say is insensitive and offensive Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So I commend you for that. And I think that, you know, ideally this person just has never dealt with it. And that education helps them understand or gives them a glimpse at understanding. Worst case, they're just ignorant and they decide that they're going to be insensitive. And so hope, you know, the goal is that all that, that education and talking about it is making a difference. And I think when you talk about it, I think it probably does. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you. And um, I guess I could, I could dive into that next year. Um, so that's when I did started, I started to do more research on the topic and just ways to spread awareness but spread it so that people would be open to listening because again there's it and, and it's unfortunate like it's unfortunate that people will hear the the word suicide and you know you're handing them a ribbon or you're you're sharing something with them and like i've like for instance there was a time where i was passing out pamphlets, ribbons, um, and donuts for the school that I went to at the time. And I had some students, they would come up to the table and they'd be like, you know, what's this table for? And I'm like, okay, this is Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. And, you know, I would prompt them like, please like take a pamphlet, get a ribbon. This is all free. And I had some students like, okay, well, I'm not suicidal, but you know, can I still have a donut? And I'm like, this isn't about whether, this isn't just about if you feel like you're suicidal. It's, it's even, it's so much more than just being suicidal in itself because you don't just jump from typical person to suicidal. There is an entire 
gap between there. There's different levels to getting to that point. So the information that I had in the pamphlet was just explaining different levels of depression, warning signs. Uh, like I mentioned before, my cousin, he, you know, was a really, he had a really bad alcoholism problem. He had some relationship problems that he took to another level. Um, I think in some instances, he might've even had a little bit of low self-esteem because he didn't really finish high school in the traditional way. He got a diploma, but he went to an alternative school. So even him, it was, it still wasn't even enough for him to have done completed. He's like, well, I didn't get it the regular way because he had other things going on. So um, I just say all that to say in those moments, like early on, it was, it was really hard for me because I was still learning too. So I had to decide like, what's more important, making sure that this person gets the proper information or yelling at them, like, don't ever come to my table again, <laughs> you know, saying blanket statements like that. So, so that was, I guess my first taste of just being an advocate. And I feel like in recent years through tutoring, it's, it's been nice to just be there for the kids and encourage them in, in class because I've worked with a lot of children who do deal with depression, who do have um, different problems that we cater to specifically. And we make sure that we're putting them in classes where they can be attended to and they're not being overlooked because those types of problems will carry with them into the next grade. Um, I mean, we all know kids get teased and we've maybe we've all been teased. I know I was teased as a kid. I had, I probably, I probably had anxiety at one of the earliest ages. I was very, very self-aware and, and made aware of myself and just, just looks and stuff like that. It, typical things that kids go through. And so it's really, really important to pay attention because again, there's there's levels to that and talking about depression, talking about what we go through and things that we deal with beyond suicidal thoughts is something that I try to hit on first. And then if people are open and have either either have been suicidal before or in my situation who have lost a family member and have now had to have taught myself and research on my own why do people do this what what are the what is the mindset behind it and how can I even educate my own family on what we're dealing with because unfortunately in the black community there's just to this day, I think, I think there has been a rise in mental health awareness and education in the Black community for sure as of recently. But even back in 2016, I had family members saying like, like blaming him, like, why would he do this to us? And that was so selfish. And I, I, would, I would just be sitting there like horrified by even hearing that from the people that I was hearing it from, because I'm like, you don't know why he did it. So how could it be selfish if we, we don't know why, right? And we know that 
it was definitely something that he was sure of beyond the reasonable doubt because he did have a kid. So when I heard that, I had to really just process that and say, Aaron, maybe it's, it's going to be up to you to, to dive in and to try to change that mindset. Instead of saying, instead of blaming him, let's look in the mirror, right? Let's look at how maybe we could have made a difference or our, or just being preventative with our own habits. How do we speak to each other? How are we encouraging or lack thereof? What are we doing? What is the environment that we've been in this entire time? Because he was young. He was only, gosh, he was maybe 25, 26. It, it's, it's tough. It really is. It's, it's, it's definitely a tough topic. And I'm thankful that there are professionals out there who are doing things like this, you know, whether they're having a podcast or they're interviewing people or they're just simply there to educate and, you know, give, give answers to things that we, we probably will never get an answer to. We, we won't know. He's not here. He can't tell us why he did it. We, we've just moved forward. So, and we're, and we're continuing to move forward. It's definitely something that will, will be with us. It, it does feel empty during family gatherings sometimes. He was for sure the life of the party. Like very funny, huge character. I mean, I can't even, I can't even give words to it. He was just that. So imagine that being taken away, you know, Thanksgivings and Christmases and really just any family gatherings, barbecues, you can, you feel it. You feel the negative, like, like someone, it's like, you're looking at a family photo and there's this cropped image and you just, you're just focused on that. Like, what is this gap between auntie and uncle? Like, where's this person? You, you, you're focused on that. But I think in recent years, we've, we've improved and we've definitely, you know, just been there for each other and I know me, I've been a lot more vocal about my feelings. Like, okay, I don't really want to be around anyone right now. I I don't have time to do X, Y, and Z. Where, where that I'm protecting myself rather than stretching myself thin. So little little things like that. And it's, it's so much harder when it's family. It really is. It's because it's like you, you see them all the time and you don't want them to be mad at you. But something's got to give. And it's better to nip it in the bud. It's better to just be honest with yourself and say, you know what? We need to set new boundaries for each other. We need, we need to do better so that this won't happen again. How can, how can we be there for each other? You know, and, and just, just be preventative. There, yeah. You said so many amazing things. <laughs> no, it's, I, it, I mean, it just, it flows, you know, it all connects in some way. Talking about how, about talking about mental health awareness in the black community is, you know, and it's something that is kind of on the rise and, but it's yeah. so, it's so important to be able to talk about mental health because it's the only way mental health can be improved is if yeah. you have people you can talk to whoever that is. Um, so 
and yeah, be, trying to kind of your family becoming now like supporters for whatever happens. Everyone at some point struggles with something and being those people who can be the ones to catch them and say like, we have you, you know, whatever yeah. you're going through, we have you. And it allows that person to, you know, to struggle and to, you know, work with it and work through it, but not be falling through. Um, yeah. So yeah, it is, it's just, it's such an important conversation on, on all levels, really. It is. And even just with children, just being aware of kids and kids with depression, I've worked with some children that have had really, um, well, well, they've had other clinically diagnosed um, situations, but specifically you can kind of look at a kid and tell like some of them won't make eye contact with you or just in, at, from a tutor standpoint where it's really interpersonal, um, you get close to them and you can kind of tell like, okay, she's not going to have a good day today. I'm not sure how far we can get through. And so, and so there, there would be days where we were trying to cover a topic and I would see that a student is not really responding. They're kind of turning in their chair, like away from you or just specifically not looking at you in the face, not looking at you in the eyes. And so I would just put my stuff aside and I would just ask them like, you know, what did you do after school yesterday? I would just make it a regular conversation. So for the, the 25 to 30 minutes that I had with the kid, you know, covering a topic, I would just make it about them. And then I would, what I would notice is they would start to open up. They would talk about what they did after school. You know, what did you have for dinner yesterday? Some kids, unfortunately, don't be having dinner. They didn't eat breakfast today or they, maybe they didn't want the school's breakfast. Um, just little things. And you, you would be surprised what I've heard so far, only tutoring a year, about a year and a half now. Um, sometimes you just have to say, what's going to be more important? Me telling your teacher that you, you weren't cooperating and you weren't listening and following directions or just telling your teacher, you know what, we just decided to take a personal day because normally the teacher knows when their student is not going to have a good day. I had a, I had a young lady, she was a third grader. There would be days she would come to school, maybe like an hour late. So it was already cutting into our time. She wouldn't even take her book bag and her coat off. She would sit in her cubby and it would get to the point where the teacher would, she would just have to move on with the rest of the class. So when I would come pick her up to take her to do our session, she would just be sitting in her cubby with her coat and jacket still on because she did not want to be in school. And so after giving her some talking or sometimes she would listen to her teacher if her teacher pulled her to the side, like, hey, you know, do you want to go out in the hallway? So then sometimes she would say yes. Sometimes she would say no. I, I think there have been days where this girl literally sat in her cubby all day and there was nothing that I could do about it as far as what I'm trained to do. So situations like that, it's, it's really heartbreaking. And, and that's why I think tutoring has been a great fit for me in relation to this type of topic because children suffer from depression. Children have trauma. 
And I know the kids that I work with specifically, some of them, I, I know what, what neighborhoods they live in. I know exactly where they live. I know exactly what's happening in this community because I live in the community that I work in. So I know some of the teachers, every teacher doesn't necessarily live in Springfield. So they don't know what happens on Center Street sometimes. They don't know what happens. They don't know. So it's our job to try to at least tap into that and be a little bit more empathetic towards these kids because you, you see it. You see it every day. You, and when you pay attention, you see who's being bullied. I've had to point out several bullies in my time of just tutoring. This is academia stuff. I've had to say, this person opened up to me today about such and such, keeps making fun of her, keeps saying these things. So maybe we need to have a, a talk with them. And, and I, I hope that those efforts help prevent attempted suicide at, with, for a minor, because it happens. Kids, I mean, I've, I've seen stories for years about children it's like, how did you even find out how to do this? So it's like, you, we think we think that they wouldn't do something like that. And then you see it, you can, you Google it, it comes across the news. So from an educational standpoint, there just has to be a way to talk to kids and not just push them to the side or say, we're going to do it later. No, let's, let's talk about it right now. We've covered X, Y, Z topics. We can afford to have a few days out of this semester or this school year. It's so weird because it's elementary schools. But fall through winter, we can afford to have some sessions where we're not doing any work and we're just having a conversation because some of them just want a conversation. They just want somebody to talk to them, not like a teacher, not like a mom, not like a dad, like they just want a friend. So. You, you try, you can, you can do that. You do what you can. And you just hope that they remember that. And so the next time that they get sad, well, you know, I think Miss Aaron, I think Miss Evans likes me or, you know, this person was really nice to me today. Or maybe I think my teacher, she might love me, even if I don't feel like my mom loves me. I, I know that my teacher loves me. So those are, you know, those are just those elements that I, I really do strive to, to put forth. And, and sometimes it's hard because these, some of these same kids, they have behavioral problems. They've said crazy things to me that Miss Evans could go home and, and cry about, but I don't do that because they're kids. So. Yeah. Well, and those conversations are so important and those relationships are so important. And it, it shows that, you know, adolescents are less likely to have big mental health challenges and have suicidal thoughts, ideations when they have positive relationships, whether that's, and that includes positive relationships with other kids, their age, with family or with other adults in their life. When they have those positive relationships, you know, it, it really does help and really does show you that there is more than what's going on in your head right now. Like, right. There really is so much more out there. And so 
I think it's really amazing. I think that you are able to have these relationships and these conversations and that you prioritize these conversations with kids who may and are probably not having these conversations with other people in their life and they're really important. So thank you. Yeah. Um, Thank you. And also I think, and this kind of puts me into my, my last question. Um, but Mm -hmm. when kids are able to do not the school stuff, but do the things that make them happy, do the, the art or the activities, the, the different things that are like the self-care, the things that just are there to help them deal with stress and life because life is so hard sometimes. And you need those activities that are purely there to kind of lift you up a little bit. So yeah. I am wondering what your form of self-care is. I think self-care is so important at any oh. age. It's this amazing thing that we can do by ourselves with friends, with family, with other people, whoever, just to bring us back to reality and kind of lift us up and make us happy again. I'm so glad you asked because one of my, I I mean, there's so many and it's funny because yesterday I went to one of my favorite stores. I don't know if there's an Ollie's in Dayton. So I went into Ollie's and I purchased a candle and I haven't bought a candle in months. Like I love candles. So buying a candle specifically, I looked at it and I'm like, wow, like I haven't bought a candle in so long. And I, and I smelled it. It smelled good. It was a Yankee candle, but it was discounted because this is like the discount place. So it was probably a, a scent that they're never going to make again. But just an act of just buying something for myself, something that I actually like, um, that's a huge form of my self-care routine. Uh, what else? I mean, photography, I think, is a form of self-care depending on what I'm doing, most of the photography that I do that I don't get paid for is probably my favorite type of self-care in, in that sense. So let's see, candles. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like the typical stuff for like a millennial or like 20, the 27 and up age range. So candles. Um, I got some my getting my nails painted. Um, just days of not doing anything. Like I'm going to go home and I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to check my email. Well, I'll check my email when I wake up in the morning or something. I'm going to just sit my phone down. If it dies, it dies. I always tell my friends and they really don't understand that. I'm like, I'm not running to the charger when my phone dies. If I don't have it with me, if I'm out somewhere, hey, oh, well, I I know where I'm going. If it's, at least if it's in town, I'll be okay. I'm just not looking for that type of stimulation anymore. I think maybe when I was in college, that was something that, you know, you're kind of addicted to your phone, you're addicted to social sites. But after being almost, almost three years graduated, I just don't have a desire to do that. So really just unplugging is a huge part of my self-care. Just the the priority of just being able to do nothing. So just prioritizing self Mm -hmm. is not selfish. And that's, that's another thing that I try to just put out there, even to my mom, like she's such a hard worker. And I think 
sometimes she forgets that mom, you know, that's important. What you have going on is important, but I'm here to tell you, don't, don't let it, yes, take care of it, right? Handle your business, but don't let that engulf you. Let's not stress about things that are inevitable. Myself, my self-care items are not going to be postponed because of something that is inevitable. Bills are inevitable. So just, you know, maybe, maybe when I have kids, I'll have a slightly different mindset because then it'll be about the children. But even then, you should still have self-care. You should still find something that you like to do and do that. Yeah, like, I mean, I completely agree with pretty much everything you said. I think, and the first thing is that, like, prioritizing yourself is like number one because you are the first or like all you got all you have is you have to live in this body this is all life and so but yeah like you have to be able to prioritize yourself because how can you get anything else done if you are burning out on your job like if you are just like you're so overworked that like you can't do it anymore if you can't do that, like advocation stuff, like you can't do that if you are so overworked and so stressed. So prioritizing yourself is the big thing. I think one thing that I want to implement with uh, the kids that I work with is especially the little, the kindergartners, they're, they're like the babies, just instilling in them, like, you know, do things that make you happy and, you know, insisting that putting some type of routine in your day will is head clearing it will clear maybe a little bit of anxiety if you have anxiety of the day if you do the things that you traditionally do in your day even if your day doesn't end up being the day you wanted it to be for me at least I still reflect like okay well I did do that I mean I was able to do that so I'm not completely thrown off but that's a great point yeah so Thank you so much for being here, for having this conversation, for being open to talking about mental health and suicide prevention. It's such an important conversation. And thank you for all the work you do. Thank you. No, and thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you again for sharing your story. And it's it's an important story. So I'm really glad that people will be able to hear it. And, you know, it'll it'll inspire people, I think. I I hope so too. I I really do. And I, you know, just one day at a time, you got to take it with a grain of salt and, um, yeah, just keep an, keep an open mind, keep going. I mean, life does not stop. Your life does not have to stop because someone ended theirs. You can still, they live through you. So, You got to do what you got to do. Yeah.